so pleased to have in the studio Michael Lachlan. Michael, welcome. It is wonderful to be here, T. Well, thanks for, for driving into town here to come to this, be in studio. It's, it's lovely to see your lovely face. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the advantage of radio is that you can lie. <laughs> it's, it's no lie, Michael. It's no lie. And, and it's so exciting also to have um, your book out this year with Wayne State University Press, Trumbull Avenue, here. Um, on the table with us. Um, thanks to Christina Stonehill for sending me a copy of this this wonderful book, um, Trumbull Avenue. I'm very excited about it. I'm happy uh, to be working with Wayne State Press. The folks are real pros, and it's uh, it's a delight to have all this support. And you've lived your whole life in or around Detroit. That's is that right. right? Is that, that right, is correct. Michael? Yeah. Um, that is. I. I uh, uh, a number of years ago, we moved from uh, Detroit to the house where we are now, uh, just west of the city. But uh, we uh, we really think of ourselves as Detroiters, and and it's obviously this book comes out of years of uh, work and life in Detroit, which has been a terrific gift to us. Uh, the generosity of uh, the people and the generosity of uh, musicians, which are in, uh, in here a great deal. Uh, uh, so. Uh, oh, thanks all for of picking, that has been a gift. Thanks for picking um, the music for today's show. We're going to be hearing John Coltrane's A Love Supreme um, yeah, during the breaks. It's a very important piece of music to me. How so? I, I just, I'm, it's kind of very intuitive because I'm not a musician, but uh, my wife and I have spent um, all of our relationship uh, going to hear jazz in Detroit, being around the Detroit jazz players, and uh, really been aff- affected by um, their generosity and their and their uh, workmanship as as artists, you know their uh, commitment to a craft that often doesn't pay them any better than it pays poets actually, uh, but it's it's a great life. And and what are some of your favorite clubs where you and your wife go? Well, we you know um, we they, some are gone unfortunately, uh, but uh, there was a wonderful place called Bomax that was at uh, uh, Grand River downtown. Um, I'm sorry, Gratiot downtown uh, over in Harmony Park area. Um, I know Cliff Bells has uh, great stuff, uh, and we've been there uh, uh, not too long. We, of course, we enjoy the jazz festival all of the time. Uh, the, the Detroit Jazz Festival has been um, a thing that we never miss. So you just go for like a whole day or several days yeah. in there. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. We, we, uh, um, it's an unmitigated uh, uh, joy just to be with the, you know, it's really the best side of Detroit uh, turned outward for once, uh, for one, at least one weekend a year. I don't mean that that's the only time, but often folks see other sides. And, and that's just such a, a diverse group of people who are gathered and uh, such wonderful music. And so Cliff Bells is also a place where if you can't get to the festival since it's that that long. Oh, and weekend, there are and there are many you know, many places. Okay, many, yeah. well, as you think of them, you can just you can just blurt them out. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> if you feel like it, Michael. Um, right. Well, and and Bert's has of course been uh, in the uh, in the news uh, uh, differently lately. Bert's in the in the market, you know, is uh, is has been there forever. So, good place. And music, just is it also informing Trumbull Avenue, your book as well? I, the I the hope jazz so. is running yeah. through it. I hope so. Yeah, I hope that people find that in there. A, a Love Supreme, particularly, is a song that has sort of surfaced. In... That's right. Uh, interestingly, many years ago, uh, one, one of the elements that, one of the reasons it's called Trumbull Avenue is that there's a shelter on Trumbull Avenue uh, run by the Catholic worker and adjoining the shelter attached to the shelter. Um, 
run by the same folk is uh, Mana Community Meal. Many years ago, when my wife was very involved uh, in running it, uh, we made a uh, slideshow. I uh, shot a couple hundred pictures, and and we uh, came up with a script and. Uh, with a little help from public radio, uh, did a uh, did a uh, an audio, and the and the audio uh, faded in and out. Uh, Love Supreme, uh, uh, my very intuitive uh, musician friend uh, Jesse Palladowski, uh picked that piece of music, and it's always been really in my heart, partly because of that. Mm, well, thanks for choosing it for today's show too. Because it'll, it'll weave in and out of your poems and the conversation. Well, my, my uh, poems will try to live, <laughs> have to work hard to live up to that uh, level of musicianship. So, <laughs> wonderful. Well, I've, I have faith. I have faith in them. <laughs> this, is, this is a good book. And you, you also, so you're, you teach at the University of Detroit Jesuit High School. Correct. Yeah, I, I, sp- I spend my time with teenagers. It's amazing. Yeah. It's wonderful to be welcomed into their lives as well. You know, that's great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How many years have you been a teacher? Because it, it seems like this is also a book not only about place. And I think we're going to I think I'd like if you're up, if you don't mind as well, if you're up for it, Michael, to talk about Detroit, which is infusing this book, a book of place. But it's Very also good. about work. I really appreciate you saying that. I, I, I think uh, in my work, you know, I did many years of working in uh, construction and training folks in the building trades and working on houses uh, throughout Detroit, per- particularly in Southwest. Uh, but then uh, was working on an MFA at the same time and eventually uh, became a teacher. And, and I have taught at the university level and at the community college level and eventually got a more sustaining role at the at the high school. Uh, and of course, uh, all along the, the way, it was a matter of learning that uh, Teachers work uh, every bit as hard as any other field of work, and and really harder than non-teachers uh, understand. I'm really not talking about myself as much as my colleagues. There, I, I work with some very awesome, uh, awesome teachers, and uh, anybody who who underestimates the role uh, and the energy uh, that uh, comes out of teachers is just not spent enough time in a high school lately. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Can only so. can only imagine. Right. Because it's it's. It's the whole day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> Night and day. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about being on for five shows, but it's, uh, it's not just five shows daily. It's really, uh, you know, a lot of prep and a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of love that goes on around the edges, too. And it seems like this is all things that you're saying that also seem to apply to these poems that you make here, too, Michael. Well, good. <laughs> I was hoping you would make a connection there. Oh, well, there we <laughs> I, would, I was hoping it would be apparent, is what I mean to say. Very good. And for the book itself, you have for the kids, all of them. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that. Is that for like your 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 children, the your students, yeah. or what, or all of uh, Detroit students? I've been, stu- been blessed kids? with kids and now... Uh, four pretty marvelous grandchildren, but um, yeah, you know our kids at school certainly are are close to my heart. Um, but this is a uh, this is a tough time in the world to be a kid. Uh, we 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 took kids from our our school to do an immersion trip in Honduras a few years ago, and we spent time in a dump community. And uh, there's there's nothing more humbling I a, think. a dump community so is that that people have to build homes that are near and use like the refuse correct their- you know these are folks in in uh, San, the San Pedro Sula area who basically live off of um, 
what they can scavenge, uh, recycle, sell. And, um, you know, you, you look at those children and, and you're humbled by how little you have to bring to them and uh, by the very different world in which they live from the um, young people in southeast Michigan or certainly uh, in Ann Arbor or in, in much of, of the Detroit community. And uh, I, I don't think we need to let them, I don't think we can afford to let those children out of our vision. And I think it's the job of art to keep the disappeared people uh, coming back in to from the margins back into the page. And it seems like this book, Trumbull Avenue, is filled with people and characters who it seems that that's whose lives are actually more stitched to Detroit in particular. Absolutely. Right. Um, but that you that are on the margins. Absolutely. And that you don't want right. them my hope is to have a that we have here a book full of voices you know detroit's a um a lot of stories it's not one story and uh it's a lot of voices and certainly not just mine there are many great great writers uh we're, we're really you know have an explosion of writers i think of the great work of inside out uh terry, yes. terry blackhawk and bringing young writers out but writers like jamal may and and um terfia faisuli and and uh you know cal freeman is a good friend in detroit who are all you know young people much younger than me who are finding those voices and bringing them to the surface so that was certainly an effort in this book and i hope that in in some of the the poems uh, that that the reader will hear a voice, maybe coming from uh, you know twenty years ago or even further back, uh, you know. So um, uh, and and to the depression, yeah. To, right. Before. Would you mind um, reading us a poem bef- before right. we go to break, Michael? Very good. Maybe we'll um, can we do? Uh, tr- we'll start with the first poem in the book, which is Trumbull Avenue, nineteen eighty-one. Time is a, a kind of a theme throughout the book. Um, there's a, uh, and, the, and that's why the year is part of it. And this is a poem that reaches back from 1951 uh, all the way to the Armenian Holocaust. So um, there, the intent is to start with this moment, but not to stay there. So Trumbull Avenue, 1981. The bounding dog may have been a Dane. Memory does not retain the breed, save that his large frame bulged with muscles and ran with the happy grace of athletes beyond praise and blame and score. The sun hammered that broad anvil of Detroit, the squinting hookers, the wan wild kids up from Tennessee, black kids one step from Alabama, the old Armenian who ran the cleaners, who still wept for dead parents and his young bride seventy years after. As for me, strange to waken each day into the same life, or now into the sequel of the story. I stood half blind from cooked concrete and flashing windshields, near the burned apartment where a kid had been killed, and others sniffed or shot or swallowed whatever they could and fell into some drastic sleep. The dog came from a side street chasing a mate or just running from sheer canine joy. The old Ford, invisible to him, is God's fist. Poised on the ruined hood, a most sudden sculpture. He died fast. Thank you, Michael. Thanks. Um, That that 
the last few lines of that poem with the sculpture, it, it strikes me. Well, I don't mean to make a dumb pun there. <laughs> no, very but, good. Um, the fist with God, it reminds me of the Joe Lewis fist downtown and how that's a sculpture. And somehow this, this it's like this, I don't know if that's at all even part of it, but somehow this echo of place, it felt like it was deep into that. I, I certainly hope that uh, this poem and uh, the other poems in the book are evocative of place. It, it is one of my priorities as a writer is that that the, the reader should be drawn into a corner that is somewhat unexpected. A corner. A corner of the world, a different a different angle of, of the light. And to understand something about the light in this particular place. Exactly. I mean, we, we, we have to... When when we enter into a new place, we hear new stories. We we are changed. One hopes. <laughs> One hopes, right? Well, well, Michael, thank you. This, well, I'm sure we're all being changed now. We're going to be changed further. Get ready, folks, because there's more poems ahead um, today on Living Writers. Michael Lachlan is here. His book out with Wayne State University Press, Trumbull Avenue. Um, is part of the Made in Michigan Writers series. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Uh, we'll take a short break. We've got Stephanie behind the glass today. Um, as I said, Michael Lachlan here in the studio. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, glad you did. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Today on Living Writers, Michael Lachlan is here. Um, his book, Out with Wayne State University Press, Trumbull Avenue. Um, thanks again to Christina Stonehill for, for sending it. Um, Made in Michigan Writers Series. So you're like the true, you're the real deal too, Michael, because you're made in Michigan and your you're, you're calling is in Michigan. You, you, you teach the young of Michigan. <laughs> um, I should say a word for that. that this is a great series. And uh, I'm thinking of, uh, it's a great collection of short stories by Kelly Forden. There's uh, wonderful poems uh, from in the Ojibwe language. Uh, yes, by, um, by Margaret Noonan. Margaret Noon- yes. Noonan, yeah, who's who's just wonderful. I mean, it, it, this is just it's uh, it's a nice group to be part of, you know. So oh, I'm, I'm so very lucky. Glad. And, and Lolita Hernandez with Lolita? her short story collections, like uh, yeah. out, out. Yes, so absolutely. Good company, isn't it's very it? Very good company. And Keith yeah. Taylor uh, is going a couple of years back. So friend of the show. Yeah. Keith, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> well, Keith is brilliant. Yeah, he's really good. He, he is. He's a good. He's a good egg. Um. So, b- before in the last uh, uh quarter of the show, Michael, you mentioned um like you. It's your intention to start with a moment, but not stay there. And I think that's really qu- quite quite wonderful because you have these. You create these narrative worlds. Um. And in this book, Trumbull Avenue, um, often you're spanning within the shape of one poem. You span decades and you move around. Like you did in the first poem that we got right. to hear, 1981, right? right. Trumbull Avenue. Right. Um, but then there are other poems where you you come into a character or a scene or a moment, and you stay within that moment. But the 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 last lines are something that take us into another sensibility. Wow, that's you have read. You're quite a reader, T. <laughs> this is delightful. <laughs> well, I, living I writer since <laughs> April 2007. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, what, I, what I should say is I just appreciate to be read at that depth. That means the world to me. Uh, so, well, let's, Would you mind reading a poem, another poem for us, Michael? Well, what um, do you have on deck? Milk, 1933. This, uh, I mentioned uh, my wife, uh, Deb McAvoy, is uh, part of, really a substantial part of a uh, source uh, for many of these, uh, these poems in one way or another. In this sense, very concretely, uh, Deb has... Uh, she ran the soup kitchen for, along with uh, a whole team of folks from the Catholic Worker, helped to run the soup kitchen for for a number of years, and now does the the uh, the books, does the uh, deposits when people send in uh, contributions. And and many years ago, she wrote back to an elderly, obviously elderly uh, contributor who sent fifty dollars a month like clockwork out of her pension, right? And she recognized the the shaky little handwriting and she she wrote back at some point uh, innocuously saying, uh, we'd like to know a little bit about you. And uh, the next month a letter came that began, we moved to Detroit in 1929 and it embarked on uh, an epistolary autobiography uh, over the next several months, little bit by bit, with these different stories. Uh, the woman's name was Florida Bessett, and, and she was 80 What then. a great name. Yeah, she was she was really wonderful person, and, and we eventually met and visited with her, and um, 
that was many years ago. So I'm, and and you said so, and this is the Catholic worker. So if correct. people wanted to, they could donate to the soup. Oh, kitchen. absolutely, Mana and uh, uh, and Dayhouse and 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 Michigan students and other students uh, frequently have done immersions there and and participated as volunteers in different ways. So yes, that's that's welcome and needed. And this is the poem though that was inspired by. Correct. This poem is Milk, Milk, 1933, and uh, Florida is the U in this poem. Um, So uh, in the book, there's milk and then there's bread, but um, we'll, we'll do milk first. When the gas man came for your meter, your oldest let him in. You jumped from your chair and handed him the baby. Take her, too. How will I feed her if I can't warm the milk? After he fled, you were ashamed. You were nursing, of course, and had never lied to a soul. Five decades later, you still see him, nearly as hungry as you, his wrench in one hand, and from the other, your quiet Ellie gaping up. Thank you. Would you, would you like to read Bread? Because it seems like they, they're on facing pages <clears throat> and they feel partnered. Thank you. I... I, I I will. You know, one of the reasons that I read Milk more frequently when I'm doing a reading is that, of course, uh, anyone who's paid attention to news from Detroit in the last couple of years, the word meter has a whole different level of, of uh, we're thinking about water. Turning water off. Yeah, yes. Exactly. I did yeah. want to ask you about, maybe let's hear, let's, do you mind reading Bread and then I'll maybe we can talk we'll, about. We'll go back into this. Um, bread, 1933. Widowed with eight kids. How young you were in the cold flat in a strange town. On the porch, your youngest wept until you could ladle some vague stew for dinner. When a strange, silent man saw him and dropped off a bag of flour, you scrounged yeast and salt, followed a recipe, like, followed like a recipe an old image, your mother baking in a farm kitchen in Manitoba. White motes hung in the air as you mixed and laughed, kids swirling, the oven belting its heat as the leavened loaves rose, then baked brown and for once fed all. And so that is, thank, thank you. Okay. And, and so that, mo- that moment is also from Florida's letters, like what she had said. Correct. And so you can, the dedication of then... Because a pension is never going to be very large, is it? And no. sending fifty dollars a month to the many, many, many years ago, uh, she 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 was done a favor by uh, Clem Kern, Father Kern, who was part of downtown Detroit f- from the era of the Depression, and she repaid that favor for the rest of her life. And that's you know that's the nature of generosity, and of course that and community and community uh, being part exactly. of a community exactly. And, and, you know, there's more community than we know. You know, that's that was the delight in meeting Florida, you know. So, so, so Michael, with with your poems, the, these are your you've also we're lucky that you've also brought some new ones too. too. Um, the making of this book, though, Trumbull Avenue, it's taken a couple of decades. These some of these poems have been in the making. Well, um, yes, these there are some poems that reach back here. <laughs> this is one of the great the only thing that gets better with age is that your memory is longer, but uh and that, and then you have as a writer you have a greater stock of 
poems to dip into to revise and remake. So, yeah. So, and so is that what happened with this? Did you, when did you feel like this was a group that was like a, fa- like together? These I want to give a... a lot of credit to Annie Martin, who's the editor at Wayne State Press. And uh, she, she uh, was subjected to two uh, versions of this manuscript and selected out of it a kind of a cohesive whole. So I, I, I think, um, I gave her a manuscript that was uh, full of older work, and then I gave her a manuscript that I knew was much better because it had more newer work in it. And she was wise enough to know that um, I hadn't selected as wisely as I thought. And she chose really from each and uh, helped me to get in order. So I give her a ton of credit. And then did that sort of then, when you saw some of the poems next to each other or or feeling that... that they might might have seemed even different to you, having a different life. Oh, something. absolutely. I, you know, uh, my wife and I have been talking about Sherman Alexie, the great, great writer. Friend uh, of the show. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, He's probably going to be on in the coming months again. Oh, very he good. he was my first show. So anyway. But I, yeah, but what I, were you guys? I love Sherman Alexie, and I, I teach some of his work. And I, but oh, we were, right. I, he had a great interview with Moyers in which he, he talked about the fact that he hadn't recognized how much his first collection was autobiographical. And I think what I hadn't recognized was the degree to which the the little autobiographical stitch that goes through this could, in fact, uh, create a cohesion for the reader and be important to the reader and not just to myself. Well, and that's what Annie found. And that's why the book is titled Trumbull Avenue. Correct. Because that is... Why is Trumbull Avenue the core for you and for the book now? You know, uh, I think that the, the, there was a way in which the that community of service really anchored our lives in that period of time. Um, and, um, uh, some of it is just kind of intuitive. That's, it's where, um, my wife and I met, came together, lived, you know, and, um, and we shared some, some stories and, uh, those are things that continue to inform my imagination. And that was in the eighties. Correct. Um, and so it's, it seems like, uh, so you have another poem that you might read snow later on in the, the program. And is that, that happens much later in time, but it seems, oh no, 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 okay. that's Michael right. is right sh- shaking there. his head. <laughs> that's right. That doesn't come across, does it? Okay. Well, let, let's do snow. Um, which I carefully marked here as soon as you mentioned it. Um, snow comes out of, uh, again, you know, I, I, um, am in awe of the kind of work that uh, that Deb did and that that's so many other good people are continuing to do uh, in um, feeding folks at places where uh, like the soup kitchen and uh, and in reaching out in one way or another and um, she came out of the soup kitchen uh, during a blizzard literally and one of the and in fact uh, our oldest was with her and uh, he was a young kid, and one of the guys was carrying him because that was how bad the snow was. And they came upon an old man uh, in the snow, and um, he came home. This is the story that comes out of that. Um, I came home from work and found an elderly gentleman at my kitchen table. (laughs) So, snow. What creature flails like an old man? You find Mocheri struggling, lost in a drifted alley, and bring him home while the blizzard blows. Small, frail, 
good-humored but soft on details and documents. He has no ID and no idea where he lives. After soup and dry socks, the story spills out. Daughters grown, a son in jail, he lives in a downtown flop. We start into the white, silent city. This depression, he tells me, as I swerve through rutted streets, is tougher than the last. Then you could get help. We were all in the same crappy boat. Ice tears at my muffler as I bounce across lanes. When he is delivered to a sour room behind a well-chewed door, I emerge to blow steam into the bright gloom and compose a story for you of Mocheri, warm and safe at home. I'll skip the way the street curls its lip as he passes, the way the glass shakes in his one window as the wind slides in. But you know already the thin fabric of our skin, the threadbare coat we clutch against every winter to come. Thanks, Michael. That That's a poem, Snow, from Trumbull Avenue. Today on the program, Michael Laughlin is here. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Thank you. 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did. Um, today on Living Writers, Michael Lachlan is here. We have his book, Trumbull Avenue, on the table um, with us. The cover um, with a Detroit pheasant on it. Is this an actual Detroit pheasant? Because <laughs> we've got a poem that's, you know, a Detroit pheasant poem. Uh, Very good. And but But I wondered, is this one of... Do you, did you get to pick the cover? Uh. <laughs> I give uh, uh, Bryce, uh, and again, the, the Wayne State folks uh, picked that, and it's just brilliant. Um, I had no uh, insight about it, except that when I saw it, I, I thought, this is, this is better it. than anything I could this imagine. So, yeah. And I tell people when I, when, I, um, when I give them the book, I said, look, even, the cover's the best part. <laughs> so you can even if you don't like any Come of the poems on, just Michael, put on. the pheasant up on the shelf face and it out be happy. right, face right. Out. exactly <laughs> so do you have the poem there do you have it do you uh, uh detroit pheasant would... uh, i do but i hadn't opened up to that um detroit pheasant comes out of uh again i worked in construction for a long time and we would run into uh, brickers, uh, people who were essentially disassembling buildings and um, therefore, um, um, you know, it's, it's very brutal work. It's dangerous work. And uh, it's kind of a, um, a recycling that is going on. Um, so um, this is a, a work poem. And you even have one poem where it seems like someone's um, a character, a man is bringing out um, maybe a hot water heater or something, and then he, then people approach him to sell him something cheap that maybe the implication is that they might not be up to any good, and then he Correct. whirls around with a pipe, and yeah. you know it's, it's there's it's fraught, and people surviving and trying to find what they can. Correct that uh, right. That is an older poem that comes out of uh, again some of the repair work that we did in Southwest Detroit, and it was a lot of fun. But oh, a lot of fun. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. No, was, I was. I felt was like never I was. A dull moment. I was learning a lot, and it was. Uh, it was. It was good, and we we did uh, do some training, and uh, there is a photograph of uh, uh, John, John Worthington. So, what was, about this? Why does? Could you tell us a little bit about why you chose? And then we'll get to Detroit Pheasant. I promise everyone. But John, why this image at, to begin the book? It's. I think it's right after the title page. It's kind before. of a heroic image of of uh, my old friend carrying a uh, sledgehammer over his shoulder. John was a plumber who uh, actually got into trouble with the. Oakland County uh, Union many decades ago in the battle days because he was reaching out and training folks that they didn't weren't anxious to train uh, and John was training uh, Detroit um, black men to be plumbers and he trained many women to be plumbers and he had five daughters so he was always drawing women and they were all better at doing everything than any of us guys were but uh he was always drawing in therefore uh uh women who were in the uh looking for work but uh he showed up that was actually a, a photograph taken at a demonstration to bring money into uh low uh low income housing in Detroit and uh um we we built a uh, the front of a house as part of the demonstration so John John was all all over that he thought that was great uh the, what I had to try to uh, try to orient him to was that you know what the folks are going to be here are teachers and social workers 
they're not going to be here at 7 in the morning, John. Don't show up at 7 in the morning. And, of course, he was there at 7 in the morning starting a generator and making everything happen for everybody. But uh, that picture was taken at the end of the day. And for him, for me, he was just a heroic, larger-than-life figure, kind of an extra father for me. He seems know? like a touchstone as part of Very this good. book. And yeah, he's you... he throughout the book, right? And so now I can see how he's a character in in the, the, the some of the poems where he's because of his daughters he's trying to protect other girls that he sees on the streets as well. And right. There's an organization in Detroit now called Alternatives for Girls, and if people want to, again, another great place for folks to donate and volunteer. Uh, but I, you know, John was around before AFG, and I don't know if there'd be an AFG. If it weren't for John identifying the way the girls were being forced into prostitution by uh, addictions and addicted families, um, he his approach was a little more direct. Uh, and but uh, eventually there was, uh, um, you know, with religious communities, pe- people put together bylaws and formed an organization. And Amy Good has been uh, managing that forever and is just a, a wonderful person. Oh well, thank goodness. And so. and and how how great to have him. In the book, yeah, uh, I, as a as an image as well as in the poems. The work of a good person's life, you know, is often not not measured during their lifespan. So, is he the the person, the character that you make the casket for within the book? No, as well? but that's that's no. no, that's another soul. But thank you. There's yeah. lots of people in this book, everyone. <laughs> Trumbull good. Avenue, and I'm happy to leave some of that a little undefined because of uh, you know each poem hopefully stands on its own and uh, the reader finds a way with it. Okay, Detroit Pheasant. From a window, the boss calls to us where we load his truck with bricks. Turn around, fellas, look. A pheasant wades through the brown grass across the street, vanishing and emerging from the tangle. A shed leans near a phone pole. Bumpers glint from the weeds. Blocks from the old foundation angle through the earth. The pheasant paces his courtyard. We have killed the city which lived here. The hieroglyph of its streets and rails has joined the ancient lost tongues. Buds unfold on a dwarf maple. A rooster hollers. That we seems pretty important there. Very good. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I, I am always longing for, reaching for, a a uh, a connection with community and and you know the, it, American poets are hesitant to speak for a we you know we get lost in our little eyes sometimes Latin American poets you know African American poets are much more I mean I'm generalizing terribly now but like the the notion of the we is is very big and uh, um, we can we can we can do that I I want to assert. You know, we can say, you know what, there's a place here. And there's, you know, there are many we's, you know, there are many communities. Um, but here, what I'm really, you know, the, the, the notion that a city is a kind of language and that is being taken apart and put back together differently, you know, uh, and, you know, it's all dying, it's all being reborn. And in the midst of all of this, there's this moment of beauty. It's nature returning. It's the the pheasant asserting itself. You know, uh, it's a complete surprise, of course, when you're in a uh, very industrial landscape, and all of a sudden you see this brilliant, you know, feather crown come out. You know, it's it's uh, it really stuns you. 
And you've cap- captured it there. Thank you. Captured <laughs> it. And and Garrison Keillor picked this poem in late April um, of of this year, right? When the, the book was coming out and he picked it for Writer's Almanac. I, I really appreciate the work that he does uh, in terms of uh, reaching out and, and giving some visibility, along with some very well-known names, uh, giving some visibility to uh, writers who are less known. You know, So that was very generous of him. And it must be pretty wild to hear his voice reading your poem, the poem that, uh, one that's it's so clearly, you know, your voice and... Well, especially since I had no foreknowledge that it was happening. I was really stunned. Yeah. You're just listening to the radio. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> Today's poem. I can't do a good Garrison Keeler. I don't know why I even tried. <laughs> well, no, and, and I had to swear off doing imitations. See, that was there. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So what will you read for us now? Well, we've been what listening to all this wonderful um, Coltrane, so... Uh, maybe I'll read a poem that, that comes from Alabama. You know, after the church bombing, and again, I, I, I hate to, to uh, even touch on this, but it is so current. You know, after the church bombing in which the four girls were killed in 1963, uh, Coltrane wrote this incredible um, uh, wordless elegy uh, entitled Alabama. And, and it really is in the same spirit of Love Supreme. Um, and uh, so this poem is Sunday morning, 1993, 30 years after, and almost that many ago, um, after John Coltrane's Alabama. Above the Victorian window arches of a stone facade, parapets lean only where demo has begun. I turn a corner, crunching snow, truck filled with a Coltrane tune, a gaunt lament in 63, now it even aches for him. Around back, the torn foundation gapes where brickers have left off. Someone has graffitied the firewall, memory, brushed on in white. Bricks flare, glazed sidewalks shine, and steam is ripped from manholes in lucent sheets. If these were silent, even the stones would cry out. Stones weep. Brick and mortar bellow like a reed calling on God, like a mother keening, like four girls killed again and again, hoping and dying among the stones and song and the vacant prayer of an empty street. And of course, reading this after South Carolina, you know, is almost uh, uh, hard to do. You know, I, I, just at the moment, you kind of feel like. The past is past. You're reminded that the past isn't past. And uh, that's, I appreciate you letting me read that. I haven't read it in a while. Well, thank, thanks for reading it for us, Michael. And that, and moving through time there, this is another example of how that's something that you're, that you're uh, always consider. It's something that your work is doing. We, you know, and one of the things I try to get across to to the young kids I teach, um, I think there's an illusion in youth that you're only living in one moment. You're never only living in one moment, and of course, the old, older, uh, the older mind uh, can't avoid that reality because we're always experiencing two or three things at the same time, in uh, memory and presence, and uh, history. The job of the poet is is. Um, uh, memory you know the the job of the poet is a mnemonic job it is the uh, the task of bringing to bear the lessons and the and the uh reality 
of the past, uh, which, it, you know, leaders, demagogues kind of like to kind of shift that aside and pretend, well, what's the big deal with the Confederate flag? You know, uh, memory insists, you know, the, and the poet has to insist on an accurate memory and a real memory and a multivocal memory and a memory where some of those voices at least are the fringe voices in the in the uh, um, in a very literal sense the the word memory painted on a wall was was very literally something I found and I thought I got to write that down you and know? that you found in Detroit certainly yes. so that's that's what I was so thinking about and within this one poem Michael um, you've got Alabama 1963 Correct. and then you have Detroit 1993 right right so that's time and, and place and of course I can't help but notice that that the poem now lands in a new time and in a new place where it has you know a different resonance a definite, different resonance or well as you said something that you can't then think that everything's solved from the past. You certainly, we, we like that illusion, don't we? You know, we want to think we've gotten over some stuff. And we have. We're not in the same place, but it is not that simple. Let's take a short break and we'll be back. Today on Living Writers, Michael Lachlan is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Thank you. back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Michael Lachlan is here. His book, Trumbull Avenue. Um, Michael, so you were, you were, you were um, born and grew up in Detroit. That's correct. So your formative years, Absolutely. you were, that you were formed in Detroit. Yes. And, and this is like the spirit and the memory, like we're, you were just talking about. These are pieces that are, are infused into this book, Trumbull Avenue. Correct. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, the poem Detroit Mnemonic actually uh, was written really during the what is now called the Great Recession, you know, and and uh, and so it's a more recent poem, but certainly in the in the same place. And um, uh, let me just kind of vault into that, if that's okay. Um, I think I was teaching um, um, a lot of Shakespeare at the time, and and so I have this. Uh, uh, the notion uh, that I was teaching Hamlet at the time, and I had certain, couldn't ever get the Hamlet language and and themes out of my mind. But one of the one of the the deals in Hamlet, and one of the reasons that Hamlet has been sometimes forbidden by demagogues like Stalin, for instance, uh, is because it it calls on the writer to be um, 
the active force of memory. Things haven't always been this way, we might say. You know, and of course, now when we have right to work legislation in Michigan, you know, the home of all of. Uh, and talk about all, misuse of language. Oh, exactly. Very good. And then you talk about all of the history that, that has made uh, the middle class of, of America. You know, it all happens in Michigan. So the notion of poetry as a mnemonic is, is very alive uh, to me. But uh, there are things that cut against that. So let me read Detroit Mnemonic. Like refugees, we forget by force. Whole cities vanish block by block. Jobs go undone that kept folks alive. School kids climb from rusted vans and wave to bleary parents who may never work again. A gaunt man slips past in the 7-Eleven, unable to buy a slice with what he got for scrounged bottles. Churlish clerk, why not just feed this mute? I follow his gray shape across the lot until I lose him behind a hedge, trailing smoke, face twisted away, clutching tiny sausages in a greasy bag. Poetry, this is not. Nor opera, theater, or even apparently news. Yet a wind raving through maples recalls our old elms, those titans that laced top branches over the streets of childhood. And when I fell in chase or flight held me, gaping into the strung web of all things. No more. Our hungry discards don't mass at Ford's gates, facing Bennett's goons, demanding work and bread. Our grief only tangles traffic, clutters parks, and seems in the bright day quite mad. Thanks, Michael. And that was, that was Detroit Mnemonic from um, Trumbull Avenue, from your, your latest book. And you've got some, some, you've also brought some new poems with you today. Well, you know, the, the, uh, there are two things. I, I think that, uh, of course, that's a poem that kind of uh, breaks the fourth wall uh, and talks directly about the nature of poetry in the midst of the poem and, uh, and also talks about, uses the, in, that, in Detroit Mnemonic, like refugees, uh, uses the refugee metaphor. This is the era of the refugee. There are more refugees on the planet right now than at any point in human history. Uh, the, the lead stories in today's news are refugees storming the, the tunnel, the channel, to try to you know, uh, flee war from Syria and find work somewhere, you know, or flee uh, from one place to another. And, and uh, I don't mean to oversimplify it or overgeneralize it. All of those individuals have stories. But in this case, um, uh, in this poem, I, um, I make it one person. And the poem also has a, um, a title re- uh, referring to the act of writing, If This Were Metaphor. Uh-huh. Someone is walking along the side of a road. Even if you read this on a savage night, she's walking. Maybe she's found shelter for now on someone's couch or in a car left unlocked because a driver forgot, intent on sprinting through driven snow to warmth. Even asleep, she walks, dreams the flight, longs for a rest she hasn't known for so long it seems as though rest happened to another woman. 
Sometimes a man walks this road instead. It's all the same. The hammer mark of each step remains. The bite of cracked shoes. The strained dignity of unbroken strides, limp or no. The cavernous night carried into the next morning, the next hungry town. If this were metaphor or some interminable story, I'd explain. But I can't make it clearer than this. I look and she's there, walking. Someone might give her a job, and she'll make a few bucks, but she's never not trying to get somewhere further from planes, artillery, gangs. She might be carrying kids, or they might carry her. If she'll endure, sooner or later they will. So. And that, and that is, that's in Crab Orchard? Crab Did Creek. I? Crab Creek, okay. Thanks. Okay, just, yeah. it's, it, and... Um, so folks could look for that as well. And they can, well, right. Yeah. There, but there's, uh, uh, I think, an increasing awareness in uh, uh, some of the, the writing that I, that I just um, mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show. Tarfia Faisula uh, has this wonderful collection entitled Seam. Uh, and uh, that is dealing with uh, the, the Bangladesh War, you know. And, you know, this is a... Uh, 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 Tarfia has roots right here. In fact, she, uh, I think she was involved teaching at Michigan at some point, right? Yes. So, uh, um, wonderful writing, and again, kind of retelling this this story of uh, part of the world that we that we want to put aside, that we want to not not face. So, so these narrative poems, but poetry of witness. That's that is I, you know I think that's one of the things and I you know Phil Levine you know kind of kind of opened yes. a door for me uh, many years ago in that in that regard as as have have uh, many others you know a poet like Dudley Randall who was so kind to me when I was very young uh, in Detroit and uh, it was just like one of the really godfathers of Detroit poetry you know uh, the 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 these are folks who opened up you know if you think of Dudley Randall's poem about Birmingham who really opened up the idea that a poem can be alive, can be beautiful, and can can also uh, evoke a sense of place and and uh, and a, a bit of history at the same time. So, did you start writing poems when you were in Detroit public schools? I was. I went to the same school where I teach, which is you <laughs> teach Jesuit, uh, and I started writing poems about the time I figured out I wasn't a musician. <laughs> and so, was that in high school then? Or, uh, high school or... and after, right? Right after. Yeah, and I, you know, I had a young child very early, my my lovely daughter, and uh, 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 but right then was going off to the MFA program, uh, which became finally Warren Wilson MFA, right? Yeah, so uh, it was it was uh, kind of woven into my early adulthood, certainly. So, and is that when you met Thomas Lux? I worked he, with Tom Lux, right? He, yeah, he he's writes. A, uh, he's a sweetheart. About your book, he he's blurbed it and he said, uh, "Read it aloud, and it will sing for you." I hope that's so. He's he's a very kind, uh, you know. He's been a, a great inspiration to a lot of terrific writers, uh, including uh, Jamal May from here. I think uh, worked with Tom too. So he's a he's a, a a great soul. Michael, I think we have time for one more poem. This uh, again is a recent poem, and uh, I think it's a good poem to end on. Um, this is called Even Song. And this is the new one. This is new. Uh, it's somewhere. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, it, my backyard at this point faces the Michigan Central Line, what was the Michigan Central Line, the line between Detroit and Chicago, the rail, rail link. Even song. 
I stare north into the lush green that hides a rail link to Chicago. A squirrel clambers pine to maple to mulberry, shrouded by leaves, revealed by limbs made animate. Beyond the tracks lies a branch of the rouge which once led slaves to Canada. Sun strokes the willow fronds to a shade that's no longer green. If this moment had a word, we'd use it for the look a woman wears when her lovers learned at last how to touch her hair. I include this because maybe you're reading outside somewhere in Oregon or B.C., and what's more boring than an eastern brown squirrel in my little yard when you have your western grays going branch to branch through a misty canopy? But I hope you've once touched your lover and seen that look, not desire only, a look that wants and hopes again as never before to stay aloft like this and alive. Life bustles around and past, vole, rabbit, eastern brown, goshawk, barking geese rowing through the blue, deep into the work of food, sex, and getting up alive tomorrow. For me, tonight, survival seems imminent, though wakefulness depends on this cup of coffee. I hold it quite tenderly, thinking of you, who will come later and not read a line of this. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very Thank much, you. And And that was one of your latest, Even Song. Even Song. Very good. It's, it is a great way to end. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It's been lovely to be here, T. And Trumbull, Trumbull Avenue is out there for folks to get a hold of, um, out with Wayne State University Press. Um, you've been listening to poems today from Trumbull Avenue and a couple of new ones that are just just uh, out in the world, new. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks to Stephanie for engineering. Um, thanks to you all for listening out there today on Living Writers, Michael Lachlan. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Thank you very much, T. From the Delta to Chicago, New York to St. Louis, Memphis, Texas, Detroit, Michigan, and the California coast. Across this great land, the Voice of the Blues comes your way every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. It's called Nothing But the Blues, and since 1975, WCBN has been the vehicle through which the true roots of the blues 
travels the highways, back roads, juke joints, inner city clubs, smoky rooms, and back porches of America right to your doorstep. Join me, Jerry Mack, for an excursion into the true American musical experience on Nothing But The Blues, Saturdays from 3 to 5 p.m., right here on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Yes, it's WCBN and Es el tiempo de la explosión banda. Lord 